So last week we were, um, last week we, we, we were looking at John chapter, we're still in John chapter 15, we're in a series called Abiding and um, learning what it means to make ourselves at home uh, in the Lord and the Lord making himself at home in us and how that, that, that dual residency there in our, in our lives, how that affects our, our thinking, how that affects our actions, how that affects how we perceive the world how that affects how we love one another, how that affects how we love the Lord our God. And so last week, I, I looked at, we're in John chapter 15, and we really looked at what it means to love the Lord our God, to, to abide in His love, His love that has already been given to us, which is a real just kind of uh, mind game, uh, not even a game, I don't know what it is, it's a great sense of hope and security that that loving the Lord is not necessarily all about my actions, but the fact that we can rest and be assured, find safety and security, put our comfy pants on, and rest in the love that has already loved you. Don't have to earn it. You don't have to, to do anything to get that other than just placing your full belief and faith in the one true God who has already loved you through his son, Jesus Christ. It's amazing. And so I said to you last week, that's the first greatest commandment that Jesus, when Jesus is asked to summarize it all up, go ahead and summarize, give us the Cliff Notes, <laughs> Cliff Notes version, Lord, of the Ten Commandments. And the first thing he says, well, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And that's exactly that. And John kind of repeats that as Jesus is going through this passage about the vine and the branches and what it means to abide in his love. And, and he says, listen, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in this love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And I tell you all these things, Jesus says, so that you have my joy, my complete joy. What a great refreshing message that is. What a great reminder that is. It might be something that you have heard before. It might be something that is not earth-shattering to you, but oh, what a sweet, sweet reminder that we have a God who actively pursues us and actively has already shown and demonstrated his love for you and me. And so now today we go into, I promised we would go into the second greatest commandment. Now there was two that he summarized, and the second one is to love one another as we love ourselves, but the Gospel of John records one more little amendment to that from Jesus, and that is not only to love each other as yourselves, but to love each other as I have loved you. That little extra, little addendum there means everything. And we attach, because we're in the series of abiding, we attach this whole thing to the concept of abiding, which means we're not loving one another by the standards of how we define loving as, and we're not loving others from a power source that originates from ourselves. No, we are divinely loved and therefore called and commanded to love others from this well source of being divinely loved. Isn't that weird to be commanded to love? You know, that's exactly what he is doing. It's a command. It's not an option. This is what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. And it's not only a command, what we'll see today, it's also his desire. This is Jesus' desire for all of us to love each other within the community of the believers and throughout the world as he has loved us. And not only his desire but his plan. This is his plan. 
This is his game plan to magnify the good news of his redemption to the world, to make it manifest. These are the greater things that we will do in Jesus' absence. Be conduits. You know what a conduit is? I'm not handy, so I know conduits only because of, <laughs> of the Bible. I had to look it up. But, you know, you're to be channels, to be these, these, these channels, these conduits of grace and mercy through loving others. His command, his desire, his plan. And what we learn today is what it means to love the world like Jesus. Say that with me. Love the world like Jesus. Again, as I was writing this, and I was thinking about our congregation, and if, if, you're, the, if you're a first-time visitor here or you're just seeking, this might be earth-shattering news to you. And thanks be to God. But those of us in here also who have been lifelong learners of, of Christ 20, 30 years, what I'm going to preach to you this morning is not going to be new information. It is not going to be something where you're going to walk out of here and be like, I'm glad I was here and I learned that today because this is bedrock Christianity, what's going to be preached on today. So then the challenge then for you all, for everyone that is in that boat, is when the messages come like this that are not like, oh, brand new information, use this time to be self-reflective. Use this time to listen to the truth statements that I'm preaching straight from Scripture and realize where are you at with that? How is that showing up in your life? How has that been a challenge for your life? When was the last time you sat with this truth and thought about your relationship with Christ? And so that's my, my little statement here for us all in this room. Let's take today... Listen to this bedrock Christianity principle of loving one another the way he has loved us and take some time to be self-reflective. You all with me on that? Are you good with that? Okay, so happy faces. Let me see them. And we're good. We're going to dive in. Let's go. This is John chapter 15 now, verses 12 through 17. This is, as Paul Harvey says, the rest of the story. Anyone know Paul Harvey is? Oh, I love Paul. I mean... My, when I, my grandpa is now with Jesus now. I mean, every morning he listened to Paul. We couldn't leave the house until Paul Harvey was finished reading whatever it is that he was reading. And as a kid, I didn't appreciate it. But now, oh, what I would give to have a morning at grandma and grandpa's house and listen to Paul Harvey say, page two. So here we go. Let's look. <laughs> Anyone who doesn't know Paul Harvey has no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, all right, John 15, verses 12 through 17. Here now, my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, the word of the Lord. Now, I just read to you before what we left off of. This is my, I've kept my Father's commandments, abide in his love, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now, verse 12. So this is my commandment then, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. 
pulled that curtain back. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I have commanded you so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In some ways, I probably should have had you stand for that, right? That's true. In old, old church ways, you would stand as you heard the gospel like that because this is such holy things that he is speaking. So what does it feel like to be loved by Jesus? Remember, our, our guiding principle today is love the world like Jesus. Well, what does it feel like then? What does it feel like to be loved? We dabbled in this a little bit last week. But from this passage, what Jesus just got done saying, this is what it, it, you could summarize it. This is what it means to be, to feel to be loved by him. Is that we are called his what? Friends. We are called his friends, no longer servants, though we're still called to serve. So don't think, oh, I, don't, I can just kick my, my feet up and someone else serve me. No, no, no. No, we're still called to serve. But he doesn't call us servants. He calls us friends. Friends who now know, who have experiential knowledge. Say that, experiential knowledge of the divine who knows what God, the will, what, well, as much as God chooses to reveal, what he has revealed to be his will. We're friends. We are knowing him. We are brought in on the plans of God's plans for redemption. We are chosen. He plucked us out of all the folks that he, he plucked you out and called you by name. And then not only takes you into that relationship, but then equips and appoints you for a purpose, live out my commands, love one another as I have loved you. And then promises us to bear fruit, which means we're provided for. What does it mean to feel like we're being loved by God? Is that we are his friends. We are knowing him and are known by him. We are chosen. We are equipped and appointed for a purpose. We are provided for. And so I give you our first self-reflective question to ponder. Have you ever stopped and tried to write down all the ways that Jesus has loved you. In fact, I give you a challenge this week, and I would love to hear from you of what you may have written down. But take some time in your prayer time this week, open up a journal page and write down all the ways in which you have experienced Jesus' love. Don't go for Bible textbook answers. Go from straight from the heart. How has Jesus loved even you? How have you been chosen? How have you been equipped? How have you been known? How have you been provided for? What are those ways? See, when we deal with things like this, these bedrock Christian principles, if you're like me, you gloss over them after a while. They become just kind of background noise because they're just so widely known. And yet... They are bedrock for a reason. May we never forget all of the ways in which he has uniquely loved us, lest we take him for granted. Now, once again, you may have difficulties with this because you might be articulating and defining love from our simple human minds. That we think of love as a transaction of emotions and feelings and, and, and that we define it by the ways in which we've been hurt or let down by love. But, 
But this love that we experience from, from the Lord, this love that we are being called to carry out is not necessarily steeped in our emotions. And it doesn't really care if we have lovey-dovey feelings. The love from Jesus, the call to love like him is demonstrated with this fundamental purpose. Hear it now. For the recipient's good and transformation. For the recipient's good and transformation. Beyond lovey-dovey, ooh, I love you, beyond those feelings, it is for our good and for our transformation. It's so that they experience the very love of the one true Messiah, Jesus Christ, and be changed forever for their good, which says they are chosen and that they are friends of God. They have a divine purpose and they have a place with him. Loving like Jesus seeks transformation in others so that they experience a change of self. When you experienced God's love, hopefully what you experienced was a loosening of the chains of sin. The very things that plague your lives, the very things that cause you to stumble, that still might be there for folks, but understanding that being loved by him, it loosens those chains. It, it, it helps us to have a release of, of the pain that someone has afflicted on us or maybe the pain that we've inflicted on someone else. A new sense of identity now in Christ that leads to our understanding of what it means to be set apart and that Jesus looks to us and says, you're worthy of my love. He's calling us to love others so that they feel those feelings. That's a huge Order, one that we cannot do on our own. Hence the sermon series, Making Yourselves at Home in Christ, because apart from him, all of that, experiencing it and demonstrating it out is impossible. Love each other in the way that I have loved you. Love like Jesus. Now let's make it biblical then. Okay, so if I'm telling you that this is the way that God is calling us to love one another, let's make it biblical then. Obviously, we have Jesus who came, who loved us. God so loved the world, he sent his only son, not to condemn the world, but to save the world, right? And so he does that. He comes and he starts shaking things up and interacting with the people in Jerusalem. Let's pull some, seri let's pull some significant stories of how Jesus loved others so that we can see what we're being called to do. The first story that came to my mind were the tax collectors. Matthew and Zacchaeus. How many know about tax collectors? Raise your hand if you know about them. You've heard about them, right? Tax collectors. Okay. How many people think they're great? How many people think they're bad news bears, right? Yeah, not, not so great. In the Bible, in biblical times, tax, tax collectors, they were not to be associated with. Even, you know, don't, they're dirty. They're corrupt. They're taking extra money from their, for themselves from their own people. So no one wanted to have any dealings with them. So Jesus has an interaction with Matthew. Matthew, who goes on to write our first gospel in our Bible. Matthew, he goes up to him and says, Matthew, how about you follow me? Can you imagine the true Messiah? God speaking to you and says, follow me. The feeling that Matthew feels. 
And not only follow me, what does Jesus do with Matthew? He goes to his home and he breaks bread and dines not only with him, but the gospel tells us with all other tax collectors and sinners that they can find. Not only do I choose you, Matthew, but I want to meet all your friends. And I want to sit and literally make myself at home in your home. And if that wasn't a great example, you have the example of Zacchaeus, right? Who was also a tax collector. And he was very industrious. He wanted to see Jesus. And so he shimmies himself up a tree to try to look and see as Jesus goes passing by. And thanks be to God, Jesus doesn't pass by. He goes to the tree. He goes to the tree. He went to Matthew's table. He goes to the tree and he says to Zacchaeus, hey, come down. <laughs> Why are you up there? Come down here. I want to dine where? At your home. Not only do I choose you, make myself at home in your home. Then I thought about the adulterous woman. Now this is in John chapter, I believe, 8. And sometimes they bracket that in your Bibles to say that this part of John was discovered later. And so they kind of have to bracket it out. But nonetheless, it's still a very good teaching story to, to, to understand how Jesus loves people. So you have the adulterous woman, right? And all of these men, it's a wonderful image, all of these men are getting ready to stone this woman because she was caught in adultery. Never mind the man in whom she was adulterous with, or men, we're going to go after this lady here, right? And so, of course, you would understand that Jesus has some thoughts about that and goes to them, goes to where they are at and says to all these people who are getting ready to throw stones, okay, how about this? Anyone here who is without sin, you may pick up that stone and throw it. And the scriptures tell us they all dropped their stones. Can you imagine what it must have felt like and what she heard with each stone that hit the ground? The freedom and the release that, that is co that's coming from that. And Jesus doesn't stop there. He lifts her head and he says, woman, where are the people who would condemn you? And she looks around and she doesn't see anyone. And he says, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. My next self-reflecting question. When was the last time you felt the presence of the Lord reminding you, neither do I condemn thee? When was the last time you sat with that truth, that faith and belief in Christ means we hear this, I don't condemn thee. And the freedom, the chains that get loosened by that. Other examples we don't have time for, but just other ones that, I, that came to my mind, the Samaritan woman, remember he goes to Samaria and there finds this woman who is also possibly in adulterous relationships. He says, give me your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. He's like, you have, how many is it? Five or seven or whatever it is, but many husbands. But he sees her, convicts her, and then sends her with a purpose. Now go tell everyone that I told you. 
And she goes and she runs and she tells everyone about the man who knew everything about her. And that was the start of the movement in Samaria. And then there was the centurion, the centurion with his daughter who is sick. The centurion who was a part of a group of people who are enemies, really, of Christ. These centurions are going to be the very ones who carry out the orders of Pilate to crucify Christ and to beat him and do all those things, right? And so he says to him, who says, the centurion says, help me with my daughter. She's sick. And Jesus does not withhold his grace and mercy. An enemy of his loves him enough to heal his daughter. Being loved by Jesus being plucked from a weed from an infested garden with no chance of growth, no chance of health, safety in it, or strength. Being chosen by him is being gently brought into a garden where we will be cherished and nourished and tended to so that we grow into the fullest of our divine potential to be just like Jesus and to love the world like Jesus. Now, what does that now look like? We talked about how it feels like being chosen, being chains falling, being released from that identity in Christ, being equipped and provided for. Now, what does it look like? How do we carry this out? Verse 13 tells us this, and it's right here. You can't get by it. Greater love has no one than this than someone who will lay down his life for his friends. If we want to love like Jesus did, we have to love in a way that puts our lives second to the betterment and to the good of someone else. Now, you have to understand that this, this passage here has an inward focus. He's talking to the disciples. He is saying to the disciples, first and foremost, if the world is going to know who I am, and if the world is going to know who you are, then you must love each other in the way that I have loved you. And you have to love each other in a way that you would lay down your lives for your friends that are here worshiping with you side by side. Everyone, take a look around. Look around. And if all these people are fellow believers with you, you are to lay your life down for, for them. Seriously. <laughs> right? Everyone's like, I don't know. I'm not talking about this person. No. No. Yes. So the world says, he says, if you want the world to know who you are, to who I am, how I'm going to manifest this, it's how you love each other. And that's a great message for the church, isn't it? How many churches have split and torn up and, and have fallen apart because of the infighting of its believers? How about the world stage where there's so many different ways to approach Scripture and the world just sees different denominations just fighting? over different things. Now, some things are worth the fight. Don't get me wrong. But we will be a better witness in how we love one another in the way that Christ loves us. Now, that's the inward focus, but I also have to believe there's an outward focus to this as well. It can't just be about that. In fact, that's not what Jesus did. He went to the tax collectors. He went to the Samaritan woman. He went to outsiders and loved them in a way that puts his life on the line for them. And so I think that's the outward focuses as well. Love each other in here as he would love us, but also out there. Can you imagine going to an enemy of yours and loving them in the way that you have received his love? That's almost unheard of and unthinkable of. I received a video clip from somebody here in this church that was this young woman who was, who was talking about what she was convicted by in her prayer time. And it had to do with forgiveness, loving somebody else 
for their good and for their transformation, not for their transaction. And she realized that she was harboring such painful feelings of a, of a hurt that she needed to forgive someone for, but had no, didn't really want to do it. If you're like me, I don't want to do those kind of things either. I want to remember the hurt so I don't get hurt again. So I know that you were the one that had hurt me, and I'm going to stay away from you. It's that old Irish proverb, let me, you know, make them lame on their feet so I can tell by the way that they're limping not to go near them. But she sat there and she thought and was convicted that all of the energy that she had in maintaining this jail cell for this person was withholding the grace and mercy that that person deserved just like her. And it overrode her feelings. She was more convicted that she might be a stumbling block for somebody else because she was withholding that forgiveness versus expecting them to, to own up for what they did. She realized that, she's, that we are called to be conduits of grace and mercy, and how dare we ever hold that away from somebody else. Now, that takes time to get there because some of you in this room have experienced hurts and abuse that is far too deep just to, oh, forgive them. But this is what Christ would have for us who have experienced his love. That if God so loves even you, he definitely loves even them. And even though you may never get the reaction that you want from that person, we are still called to be conduits of his grace and his mercy. It's not really about me anymore. It's about me releasing you from that and releasing myself from that so I no longer am feeling that hurt so that you can experience the freedom found in Christ. And thanks be to God if that happens. Now that self-reflecting question, who in your life needs forgiveness? Who is that person? What have they done? What would have to happen for you to get to that point where you can be a conduit of that grace and mercy and love them in the way that, that you have been loved by Christ? Or flip it, what have you done to someone that you need to ask forgiveness for? And the answer to all of that, to round this whole thing up, where, what needs to happen, where do we get that power? It's from abiding. Abiding and making ourselves at home in Jesus Christ so that the Holy Spirit can continue to convict and remind and teach and grab your heart with that, that affectionate love so that you can go and do that for somebody else, not expecting anything in return, but only to be a channel, a causeway, a conduit of the grace and the mercy that you have received in Christ. So what are we called to do? Love the world like Jesus, knowing that the only way that that's possible is through the power of him abiding richly in you. For you and me and everyone, he died. For you and me and everyone, he lives. It's, to us, it's for us to believe and place our full weight in that 
and make your home not only in his love, which has already loved you, but make yourself at home in his love to love others the way that he has also loved you. The title of the sermon was called The My, Jesus' Desire. And that's because that first verse there, this is my command, written in the Greek, it's written, this is my, my command, so that we would see the double emphasis of Jesus' one true heart desire, is that we would express the love that he has loved us to others so that they would know who he is. Go and glorify the Lord in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, sharing everything you learned here today. Amen. Have a great weekend, everybody.